My name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And this morning, uh, I get to continue a series that we started about three or so weeks ago that we are calling Royals, Becoming Who We Are. And uh, in this series, we are really leaning into the idea of our identity. We are on a quest to discover or perhaps rediscover who we truly are, our truest identity. Because whether you realize it or not, um, you live out of what you believe is most true about you. Uh, If you believe that you are worthless, for instance, that might explain the kinds of relationships you continue to get in and out of. Um, If you believe that you are the sum of your bank account, that might explain why you are constantly stressed about money and finances and, and what's going to happen with the economy and things of that sort. If you believe that you are your relationship status, that might explain why you are okay with dysfunctional you know, settling for, you know, codependent uh, relationships because you, you, you were defined by it. And what we want to do is discover our truest sense of identity. And what we've continued to say is who we really are is actually not a matter that can be settled on earth. It is not determined by anything in the culture, in the world, in our feelings, in the way we think about ourselves. Our truest identity is what God sees and says is true about us. That's what we want to discover or rediscover. That's what we want to live out of our truest identity. And this morning we are, we're going to talk about the fact that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, he calls you purposeful. When God looks at you, he calls you purposeful. I'm not asking what you call yourself. I'm telling you, when God looks at you, what it calls you is purposeful. If you have a copy of the Bible, meet me in Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, the verses will appear on the screen um, above me or in front of you whenever you happen to be tuning in. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at one verse, verse number 10. Here's what it says. For we are God's handiwork, the the work of his hands, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are, it says, God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Man, what an important word. Especially in a culture of ambition and advancement on this constant tireless quest to find significance, to find success. What a word. In a cultural time in which there is this incredible famine of the sense of purpose, this sense that my life really and truly matters. And here comes Paul just announcing, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you woke up full of purpose. We are purposeful. And you better know I'm misspelling that with two L's at the end. 
purposeful because of our connection to the person of Jesus Christ. You are handcrafted by God to carry out handcrafted work that he designed just for you. You woke up with purpose. The question is, do you believe that? That is the question throughout this series is, do you believe it? And do you live like it's true? Is your reality catching up with reality? Are you becoming who you already are? Man, when Paul makes this audacious claim, he is calling to mind the imagery of creation. He's using the language from the Genesis account of creation. In fact, I think it would help us to go back there and um, peer in on the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. He's thinking about the creation account in Genesis 1, in which God is famously said to have been seated on his throne um, as he created the world that we now know by simply Speaking the words and calling things into existence by simply talking. Calling for whatever he wanted and whatever he wanted was exactly what he got. For instance, Genesis chapter 1, we'll put it up on the screen, verse 11. When God wanted plants and all manner of greenery and and shrubbery and, and cilantro and sequoia, look at what he said. Verse 11. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to the various kinds. And it was so. Just speaking things into existence. Um, Verse number 14, when God wanted stars and and planets and, and things dancing in the delicate orbits up in the sky, he said, verse 14... Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Verse 15. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. Amazing. When God wanted to create fish and birds, you know, Nemo and Madagascar or whatever. Check out verse Number 20, and God said, just speaking, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. Needless to say, and it was so. For five straight days, this is what God did. Sat on his throne, spoke words, and brought things into existence. And what he brought into existence was exactly. Exactly what he wanted it to be. What he said was exactly what he got. And what he got was exactly what he said. And he loved it. And we know, by the way, that he got exactly what he wanted. Because at the end of every day of creation, God would give an evaluation. He would give himself um, you know, an evaluation grade, if you will. Um, And to no one's surprise, every day he uttered the same exclamation about his word painting artistry. He would say, "Woo! nailed it. 
five straight days. Everything he wanted, he spoke into creation. It was so right on. God would say, nailed it. It was God's way of saying, it looks exactly the way I saw it in my mind when I spoke it. And it came into being. Five straight days, five perfect scores of creation. Um, and man, if you study the creation account, it's so fascinating because you notice the patterns and the purpose in the way God created the world. Everything he did was so meticulous with design and purpose and intentionality. I'll tell you one of the things that fascinates me personally. I find it really fascinating that when God created living things, for the most part, um, he would speak to Or at least he would speak about the environment or the habitat in which the created thing was intended to thrive. Just just brilliant. He would speak to something and that thing was called to bring forth. And whatever it brought forth was designed to thrive in the thing out of which... Okay, let me, let, me, let me give you an example, right? God wants to create fishies. And he says, let the waters team with all manner of fish and swimming creatures and critters. Fish, water. Uh, let me give you another example. Uh, when he wanted the birds, he's let the sky be filled with these birds that... Fly is what he said. When he wanted to create greenery and shrubbery, he spoke as though to the ground. Let the ground give forth these plants and these trees. And when he wanted animals, he spoke again to the earth. Let the earth give forth these creatures, these animals. Ooh, so, so brilliant. Which is, by the way, why it is never a good idea. For Nemo to decide, I want to bust up out of the water and go for a hike in the woods. No, let the waters team. And the waters became the habitat in which the fish were intended to to thrive. Dolphins don't do well in trees for a good reason. By God's intentional design. It's almost as though, hey, stay in your home. Stay in your habitat. That's where you are intended to thrive. That's why birds don't build nests in rivers. Stay in your home. That's why as beautiful as it is to watch a shooting star. That thing is falling out of the firmament. The gases. And that thing is going to die. It's cute. But it's falling out of the habitat in which it was intended to Thrive. God was so intentional in the way he created what he created. I'm just telling you, God did nothing haphazardly. God did nothing by accident. And he approved of everything he had done because he had designed it exactly the way he had dreamed it when it came out. And then there was day number six. Ooh, that was a different kind of day. That was a different kind of day in creation. This was a day when God broke the pattern and protocol that he had repeated for five straight days. Check this out. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us. 
That's a hint about your habitat, by the way. Let us create mankind in our image and in our likeness so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then if you turn the page to Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, we get a sense of how exactly God did this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being god broke the pattern on day six y'all for the first time in recorded history however long eternity is he gets up off of his throne and not just that he takes a trip down into the world that he had spent time speaking into creation. Who did it? I think Jesus the son because nothing was created apart from him. In either case comes down into the world. And I'm guessing the angels are like, what? Now we've not been around very long, but we know enough to know that he doesn't have to move a muscle in order to get whatever he wants to get. Why is he getting up? And yet here he is getting up and taking a trip into the earth. And then more than that, he rolls up his sleeves. I don't know what color his sleeves were. I didn't even know God had hands. But then he puts his hands in the dirt of the earth and he starts to shape the human frame. This again, the God who only needs to speak. Now he's playing in the mud and he's piecing together the human frame just the way he dreamed it. And the way I picture God, I mean, my God, he's having a blast doing it. Just filled with joy. Ooh, let's give humanity some fingernails. And he does that. And he's really happy with himself. And oh, ooh, yeah, let's, yeah, yeah, let's, 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 let's definitely give humanity, um, yeah, let's go with a spleen. They'll never know what that is for. But let's put one of those suckers in there. And he's having a blast. Ooh, let's put some cheeks on this sucker. And he's like, ooh, I like cheeks. Let's give him some more cheeks, you know. And God is just having the time of his life. Creating humanity. Angels are freaking out the way I envision it. As he goes into the work, into the, the dirt, designing the human frame. I'm just asking you, do you even know how special you are? Do you even know how valuable you are? Do you even know how precious you are by virtue of the fact that you are human? God got off the throne and he came and put his hands in the dirt just so you could have his fingerprints on you. Day number six, super special. Um, when he was done framing this first human being picks up that lifeless frame, holds it close to his face. And the Bible said he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And the minute the breath of God touches humanity, Adam, the first man, comes rushing to life. And just imagine for a second what that's like to wake up and the first thing you see is the face of the living God. Welcome to life. Adam, man, which is another great reminder, by the way, that we only became living beings. We only came rushing to life when the breath of God entered our 
frame. We have earth bodies, yes, but this is a great reminder that the real you, the real living you, the soul, that's the breath of God made in his image to be like him. Oh, by the way, um, that's why it's never smart for you, Nemo, to ever try and make life work apart from God. He is the habitat in which you and I were designed to thrive. It's his breath in our being. Stay in your home. Stay in your habitat. And again, you notice the sequoia never decides after like 200 years of existence, like, you know what? I'm tired of being stuck here. I'm going to break free from the ground. Try some new things. Nope. Never. Anyway, soon after Adam arrives, God tells him, um, welcome, I have some work for you to do. I made you on purpose for a purpose. I made this world and I want you to take care of it for me. I'll give you a partner. Y'all can figure out how to, to be fruitful and multiply. And I want you to be landlords over the earth on my behalf. And so from day one, Adam understood that he had a job to do. He was God's manager representing him on earth. All that to say, that's the imagery. That's the language that Paul is borrowing from in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 when he speaks to us about our identity in the person of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. This, again, being a God who only needs to speak the words. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is our story. And Paul is reminding us of this. In fact, if you read the verses just before us, he's talking about we are saved by grace. Because like dummies... We decided we could make life work apart from God. And so we rebelled. We disconnected. We said, we're going to try new things. We busted out of the water and said, we are fishing. We're going to try the tree for a little bit. And we disconnected from God, our natural habitat. We sinned. We broke away. And just like God said, if you disconnect from me, if you sin, you are going to die. And the moment humanity sinned, we started to die. Physically, we started to die. Spiritually, we started to die. But the funny thing about it is we may not always look like we're dying. Just like if you take a tree out of the ground and you lay it down and you look at it, it looks, leaves are still green for a while. You walk by and you're like, this tree actually looks fine. No, no, it's dying. It's disconnected from the habitat. It's dis- disconnected from the source of life, which is us walking around without God. Like, oh, they look fine. I saw them at a party and they look fully alive. Oh no, they are dying apart from God physically and spiritually, which was our story. All of us. That's Ephesians 2. If you read before, we were all objects of his 
wrath. We lost our sense of purpose and we were floundering and we were flopping around trying to make life work apart from him outside of our habitat, disconnected from the source of life. And so by his grace, God did it again. He did it again. This time we know for a fact it was Jesus. He got up from the throne and he took another documented trip into our world. Angels are like, what are you doing for a God who only needs to speak? And he entered into our world and he rolled up his glory and he put on humanity and he got his hands in our dirt and we got our dirt on him. And he went to the cross and he died so that he could reset what we had broken and give us a chance to start all over again. That's the imagery that Paul is painting. And that's what Paul means when he says, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you messed things up badly, disconnected from the source. But God has reconnected and recreated us. Now this time, not out of dirt, it says, but out of Jesus I mean, just read the Bible. Like we are created in Christ Jesus Do you even know whatever Jesus is made out of, that's what your truest self is now made out of. The exact same stuff. Not dirt now. Now sure, I have my physical body, but the real me, that's made out of the same stuff that Jesus is made out of. That's crazy. And I just came to announce to you, you are a masterpiece. Pieced together by the masterpiecer, God himself. In the person of Jesus Christ. Um, And if we had time, we'd even talk about the fact that it's not just his breath in, in my lungs. It's himself in my body. When I woke up, it's because he breathed the Holy Spirit. God lives in me. God lives in you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. Do you even know you are a masterpiece? That's what the old NIV says. This one says the handiwork of God, the work of his very Hands. Now, we don't know exactly when he did it. We don't know how he did it. Maybe when Jesus was in the grave. But God went to work with his own hands. Because it says his handiwork. We don't know how, but he did it. And he designed you exactly the way he wanted you to be designed. And when he was done designing you, you know what he said? Woo! Nailed it because you looked exactly like he dreamed you to be. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm just telling you there's some things we're going to have to get used to that he sees and says about us when he looks at us. This is such a powerful passage of scripture. I'm just trying to tell you, you're a masterpiece. God's handiwork Um, when he created you he did nothing haphazardly or accidentally not one thing he designed everything about you on purpose and when he was done 
He was thrilled and he saw that it was good again because you were exactly the way he dreamed you. And you may not have heard this about God, but he's a perfectionist. He doesn't do anything part way. He doesn't ever say like, "Mm, close enough, ever. He only ever does what pleases him. And when he created you in Christ Jesus, handcrafted you in Christ Jesus, it pleased him. He gave himself props because it was exactly as he wanted. I'm telling you, if that is true, it means you are God's best work. Oh, man, this is going to take some of us some time to get used to, but so be it. I'm not asking how you feel about that. I'm telling you what heaven says when it sees you. There goes God's best work. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a masterpiece hand designed by God himself. But that's not all Paul says. Uh, He takes it a step further. He doesn't just say God hand designed you out of Jesus stuff exactly the way he wanted you. He says um, God also hand designed work for you to do. God hand designed work for you to do. Just like Adam, when you woke up, God said, welcome to salvation. Welcome to your new reality. I have just the job for you. No, really, I worked on a job. I hand designed a job description just for you. I designed you for this assignment and I designed this assignment just for you. You, you are my best work and I've designed your best work. I just came to tell you on this Sunday, March, whatever this is, the 20th. I don't know what you've heard, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you woke up with purpose. You are beyond purposeful, more than you could possibly even conceive of. Made fully on purpose by God. Made fully for a purpose by God. I'm not asking. I'm telling you. You are purposeful. And for some of us, we are going to need to get used to saying those words. To ourselves. If the mirror tells you anything else, it is lying to you. You're a masterpiece handcrafted by God. Anything else that's said is a lie. If your physical limitations tell you anything else, they are lying to you. You have been designed on purpose, with purpose. You are beyond purposeful. Everything else is a lie. If social media makes you feel anything less than purposeful, or master PC, it's a lie. And maybe you need to stay away from it for a little bit so you can grow to become acquainted with what God sees and he says about you. 
masterpiece designed by the hand of the master designer. Okay, if that is true, let's talk about a few things. Number one, let's talk about mistakes. Now, for some of you, this may mean very little, but for some of us, this may be a lifeline. If Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 is true, you cannot possibly be a mistake. I just want to put that out there and go on the record. You cannot possibly be a mistake. In fact, let me take it a step further and maybe make us feel a little more uncomfortable and some of us maybe a little more hopeful. Nothing about you is a mistake. You cannot be God's masterpiece and a mistake at the same time. That math doesn't work. It doesn't work. God does not make any mistakes. Listen to me. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. They don't amount to you being a mistake. You are not the sum of the mistakes you've made. You are a masterpiece handcrafted by God. I'm sorry. Get used to it. Suck it up, buttercup. That's just the truth of who you are. I don't care what parts of yourself you look at in the mirror and consider mistakes. The mirror is lying to you. Maybe you need to just write in permanent marker on the mirror, masterpiece. So that when you wake up, you become more acquainted with the truth, not the feeling. I don't care what words have been spoken over you by your teachers or by your parents. They are wrong. You are a masterpiece. Some of y'all need to call your dad today and just be like, hello, hello, I'm a masterpiece. What? Click. I don't know if that's good advice or bad advice, but (laughs) hit me up. Let me know how it went. Um. You are God's masterpiece. He created you exactly how he dreamed you and he nailed it. In fact, I dare you to say, I am a masterful. Dare you? Anyone? One person, okay. Okay. I'm not kidding you about this series. It would take a while for us to be like, wait a minute, wait. Like, and many of you are like, mm, wait a minute. How about, and you're already starting to think about 50,000 different disclaimers. Suck it up. It's who you are. Masterful. Look at you with your masterful self. Don't accept any lies Of voices in or around you that magnify your mistakes as though your mistakes now identify or define you. Um, I'm telling you, it cannot be pleasing to God when he says, nailed it, 
And you look at yourself and you're like, yeah, but my bone density, though, it's, it's not preferred. <laughs> oh, man. You're a masterpiece. You're not a mistake. God doesn't make any of those. I'm going to keep going. Uh, let's, let's talk about worthlessness. Um, if this is true, every single feeling of worthlessness you ever feel is a lie. It's a lie. You cannot be hand designed by the great artist of heaven and be worthless. You cannot be made out of the same stuff Jesus is made out of and be worthless. That doesn't compute. Every feeling of worthlessness is a lie. And respectfully, it technically doesn't really matter what you feel about yourself. Your identity is not a feeling. Let me say this too. This thing, I know we talk about it a lot, but your sense of self-worth, your, your sense of self-worth, has no bearing on your actual worth. If the tag on your soul says designed by God, your worth is settled. Your worth is settled. Not a feeling. Your worth is a fact. Your worth is not an opinion. It's not up for negotiation. Doesn't matter how many elementary school kids would trade a brownie for a Ferrari. It just makes them terrible at understanding value. And sometimes we consult ourselves. Like we understand what true value or true worth ultimately is. No, God understands that the one who designed all things. It's not a feeling. It's a fact. So I just want to say to some of you, stop letting dumb boys determine your worth. They don't get to decide. Stop letting your bank balance or the size of your house determine your your worth. Those things are actually not connected. Stop letting you determine your worth. You didn't design you. You don't get to determine your own value. The designer does. I'm telling you, you are not what you feel about yourself. You're what God says is true about you. Every time you call yourself worthless, ask yourself, um, what must that say about Jesus? Because we're made out of the same stuff. And at the end of the day, I, you just need to know your parents are just, for many of us, our parents were just 
really, really bad, like, art appraisers. And most of us in this room are just terrible art appraisers. That's all there is to it. All we're saying is, hmm, I wouldn't pay that much for that piece of art. Like, I wouldn't pay that much for me. Jesus is like, I would. He gets to decide. Uh, Let's talk about insignificance. This was the big one for me, and and I think it still is. I don't think I knew just how massive until I turned 30. (laughs) I had an early midlife crisis. Uh, I will never forget how devastating my 30th birthday was. I went into a funk and struggled with feelings of depression for months. Four months. Just haunted by these voices saying to me, oh, you're 30. You should have been fill in the blank by now. It was just this feeling that wouldn't go away. 30 years old and I felt like I was insignificant. I felt like my life hadn't counted or or made a, a, a difference, you know. By now, I thought I would be more, and you fill in the blank, I'd be more significant, I'd be more popular, I would have more money, I'd be more famous, I'd be making more of a difference, but instead, I'm living in a little town, and I'm feeling like my life isn't counting for very much of anything, and I look around at these athletes, and these celebrities, and these stars, and they're making a difference, and they're in their 20s, and I'll be at 30, and man, and even if I start to do anything in my 30s, people will look at me, you know, it's not the same when you're in your 20s, people say, he was only 20 something and now I'll be like 40 and people will be like well 40 of course you had 40 years you might as well have done something you know I was struggling with all of these thoughts of feeling like I was 30 and my life was wasted in insignificance I hadn't done that big thing or reached that threshold where my life would finally be validated and significant and everybody would know it I was in a funk man I was miserable, and I, I, I needed so desperately to be reminded of the truth. God designed me exactly the way it pleased him for the purpose that he designed for me. And that's the thing I just want to stress so much in this passage. This is huge. Because I fear we could read a passage like this and even listen to some of what I'm saying um, and start feeling or saying things like, I'm perfect. I have no blemishes. I have no weaknesses. I am perfect. I'm a masterpiece. I never make mistakes, right? That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying something I think much more beautiful than that. He's saying, no, you are perfectly designed for what God perfectly designed for you. That is a major difference. For me, one of the things God designed me to do was to communicate his hope and his truth on his behalf and I was depressed at 30 because I I felt like I 
I, I hadn't measured up and uh, I wasn't significant according to someone else's standard and someone else's design. This is so freeing, so powerful. God didn't design me to be a pop star or a celebrity. And yet I was feeling depressed because I wasn't carrying the kind of status that the celebrity and the pop star had. But look at them and how far they are along in their 30s. And, and, and look at me and where I am. And I start to feel like something is wrong with me. But what Paul is saying is, no, 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 Kondo. God designed you perfectly for what he designed perfectly for you. That's so huge. And I'm trying to plagiarize someone else's purpose. Comparing myself to other people's success. Not believing God made me on purpose for my purpose. And instead of looking at social media and looking at follows and look at what everyone else is doing and how many people like that person and are cheering for that person or whatever the case, I should have been obsessed and in the presence of the living God asking him the question, what did you design for me? What is the handcrafted work that you designed perfectly for me? And because I missed that, I had this crisis of purpose, I had this crisis of identity, I had this crisis of Significance, which I think is happening so much in our culture, in our world, because we are so consumed with comparison and social media, and we're measuring our life according to somebody else's like highlight reel and all of their doctored pictures. And I'm not that, and I wish I was that. And here are the only four things in life that seem to make a difference, and and we are absolutely spiraling into a crisis. Come on, he made you for what he made for you. Do you even know how ugly scales look on a bird? I want scales. You're a bird, dude. By now I thought I'd have so many more scales. That's not what I designed you for, Condo. It's not fair. Not fair. You know, the birds can fly Nemo. That's not you. That's not what you were designed for. And I'm just saying, man, listen. The power of what Paul is saying to us is that you are purposeful. And God designed you on purpose for the purpose that he designed for you. And he made no mistakes about that. But if you start to live your life, you know, like I'm not measuring it up to somebody else's standard, you can have these beautiful things about you, even beautifully broken things about you, that you feel like are just curses because you're missing the ways that you've been designed to carry out what God has for you. Listen, if, if you were designed to be a Vogue model, then I get why you might stand in the mirror and nitpick this and nitpick that. But bro, if you're designed to be an advocate for vulnerable kids in the justice system, like eat a burger, you're going to need the strength. I'm just saying, stop living under somebody else's spotlight, somebody else's purpose, comparing yourself to something that you were not designed for. This verse is saying he designed you for what he designed for you. The obsession of his people ought to be, then what have you designed me for? And what have you designed for me? Because when these two things meet, 
then I can begin to experience in real life some of the significance that you've already spoken over me. I'm like four foot five, like what's wrong with me? Nothing. He made you just like he wanted you to carry out what you were. So just maybe he didn't call you to like help people get stuff off the top of the refrigerator. Maybe that's not your thing. But if you're convinced, then it's amazing how we can miss some of that. Now, I'm not saying everything hard is by design. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm saying when you start to figure out things in your life that you cannot change, you cannot control, it is a great time to ask the question, God, why have you designed these things? Or why am I in this space? Because you do not make mistakes. All right, one more thing. Let's talk about ambition. Because if this is true, then maybe... These questions we ask each other about, like, your, tell me your five-year plan, you know. Um, tell me how you, you, you're kind of, you know, chasing the American dream and climbing up some ladder and putting away for a time. Like, we have all of these things that we ask each other. Um, and we do it to kids early, too. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, I'm not saying those are all bad questions, but I am suggesting that maybe we're missing the more important question because the more important question seems to be hey have you discovered who God has designed you to be have you discovered the work that he's designed for you when Adam woke up that's one of the first things God told him I have a job for you I made you myself and I made this work for you the question we ought to be asking each other and the question we maybe ought to be asking our kids is questions about have you discovered how God has designed you and what God has designed for you as a church as Christians we ought to be coming alongside each other and asking each other more of those questions than we do about five-year plans and ambitions and retirement and putting stuff away and making sure that you you're secure 25 years from now 25 years from now no I want to live up to the purpose that God has spoken over me and if I'm in the wrong path chasing the wrong thing because my parents said well you need a practical job you need a well-paying job and so that's all I've been chasing that's a voice I've been listening to I will never pause to ask the question but what has my designer designed me for we ought to be asking that question more and more and more and in a nation and a culture of ambition and chasing after the next promotion It is so easy to lose our truest sense of identity and our truest sense of purpose and start to compare ourselves against a dream that wasn't even God's dream. And I'm telling you, you woke up with his purpose, whether you realize it or not. Your goals may not have worked, your plans and dreams may not have worked, or maybe they have. But the more important thing is, God has designed you, filled you with purpose, made you incredibly purposeful. And I want to say to you college students, I understand there's this quest and this pressure because I felt it about my major. Because my major is then going to determine my job. And that job is going to determine how I pay for my bills. And, And all of those things are important. But I'm telling you in the midst of that, do not miss who you really are. Who you really are. What has he designed you to be? And sometimes college can completely make us forget asking those bigger questions. Who am I? 
And what does God desire me to be? And as a parent, I don't want to speak over my kids like, this is the smart one. That's the rebellious one. You know, um, this one's definitely going to be in the corporate world. Like, no, we should be praying and asking them, are you getting some sense of who it is God has designed you to be? Um, Listen. You are a masterpiece because God made you exactly the way he wanted you to do exactly what he wanted for you. No mistakes, no errors. And I love this passage of scripture again because Ephesians chapter 2, the whole book of Ephesians, Paul says you're a masterpiece and he's writing to sinful people. So don't even start saying stuff like that, but I've messed up, but I've got, Paul knows that. But he's saying, in Jesus Christ, you are a masterpiece, masterfully made by the master designer with work designed for you. May we embrace who he says we are purposeful and may we long to discover what those purposes are in us so we can live fully and freely out of that place. And so, Father, I praise you for your grace in sending Jesus into our world to recreate us in him. Thank you that if we are followers of Jesus, that we have purpose, we are full of purpose, and and that, that you took the time to hand design work for us to do, to be your landlords in, in some sphere of this world. And I just pray that we'll become obsessed with listening to who you say we are and then asking you what it is you want us to be in light of that and so I do pray, Lord, even just for maybe a fresh awakening for, for many of us um, into what it is you've called us to be. So we wouldn't just exist and we wouldn't just succeed on a world's standards, but that Lord, we would live in purpose purposefully because that is who we are. I pray for anyone in this room that doesn't know you that today would be the day of salvation. That they would believe Jesus rolled up his sleeves and is willing to carry their mess, their dirt, in order to free them of their sin and make them right before you. I pray no one would walk out of this room without asking you, Jesus, to freely forgive them, set them free, and fill them with your purpose. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.